You know those times in the day when you can't fit in a full podcast? Running out to the store, walking the dog, or washing the dishes? Jam is the new way to listen when you have just enough time for the perfect short audio playlist. Get started at listentojam.com slash podcast and get your daily Jam playlist filled with more voices in less time. With Jam, you can choose from news, parenting tips, wellness advice, and more. Go to listentojam.com slash podcast and satisfy your curiosity with short audio. Discover something new every day. With Eversense, the long-term sensor helps me spend less time dealing with my CGM. I only need two sensor changes a year. If you're on multiple doses of insulin, you might greatly benefit from the Eversense E3 CGM system, the only continuous glucose monitoring system that lasts for up to six months with one sensor. Still doing frequent sensor changes? Break free today with Eversense. For important safety information and to learn more about Eversense, please visit eversensediabetes.com safety. You're listening to the Fade to Gray Network. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am so happy. Kristen, I want to just say thank you so much for coming on to my new podcast. I am absolutely thrilled to have you share part of your story and talk about the impact of mental health uh, while being a parent. Part of my vision for mental is to bring the real struggles and issues caused by mental health concerns into the light. Part of the future of this podcast will entail interviews with individuals who share their own lived experience, as well as hearing insights and experience from professionals in the field. For the purposes of today's discussion, I'd like to get to know you better and explore the challenges in parenting that you've experienced by having uh, depression and anxiety, which I'm sure we're going to talk about. So with no further ado, how are you doing today, Kristen? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Yes, absolutely. Just to kind of give people a little reference, uh, we know each other through a good friend, correct? Yes. Yeah. My best friend, you are friends with and work with. Yes. Through my friend Liz, I was able to meet Kristen, and I'm just so thrilled to have you on today. To kick things off, tell us about yourself. Tell us about your childhood. I'm what's called an elder millennial, so I'm Mm -hmm. the older range of the millennial generation. So that has its own challenges. It's true. It's true. I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. I was pretty, a very introverted child. Just, you know, I had a small group of friends. I was, you know, just very shy, very quiet. I was bullied a bit in school just for being, I was always so small. I was smaller than everyone else. Mm -hmm. And I was I was that the one in class is like, teacher, you forgot to sign us homework. So people <laughs> like me very much. So, you know, being uh, but generally that means you're pretty smart though, right? Like yeah. those were the kids that, that always got straight A's. Yeah, I was I think, you know, I was always very introverted, so I really turned to books and um I love to read and I love to just kind of hide in my room versus like go out partying like uh a lot of Mm -hmm. other kids. I was a goody two shoes. And so, you know, I was just that kid. (laughs) I was, I was kind of invisible in school. Like I had my small group of friends, but otherwise I didn't really make a huge, a lot of noise. You know what I mean? I I didn't like to Mm -hmm. draw the spotlight on myself. So I was always very shy and quiet, 
grew up in, you know, middle, middle class family. Education was very, very important. So we really had to like study Mm -hmm. hard and work really hard. And like getting good grades was like the most important thing. So I put a lot of pressure on myself trying to just, I wanted to be perfect at everything. So I was a super overachiever, perfectionist, all that sort of thing. So, you know, that I was in gifted classes and all that stuff. We have a lot in common (laughs) other than the gifted classes, okay? I had friends who got into the gifted classes and I was very upset that I did not. But everything else other than that, uh, we have a lot in common. Yeah. Uh, Which created, I would imagine, some significant challenges just in kind of growing up because you weren't always in the spotlight. Yeah, I really, I mean, I I hated the spotlight. I really shied away from it. I didn't like to be noticed, you know, that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And and because in, also because I was bullied a lot, like the smaller I was, you know, the less space I took up, the less likely I was going to be noticed and and be teased and picked on. So that kind of had a lot to do with that as well. Is I just I just tried not to, you know, be seen because you know, then people would leave me alone and I just wanted to be left alone right. uh to do my own kind of thing. So um I wasn't, you know, I, I just kind of existed. You know, I wasn't you know, in high schools it's like you have all these cliques. I wasn't really part of that. I was just kind of like there. I had I had friends mm-hmm. in a lot of different groups. Like I had one friend in pretty much each like click group, but I wasn't like in any of those groups really. So I just kind of floated. <laughs> when you mentioned bullying, kind of break that down a little bit. What what levels of bullying did you experience growing up? I I went to an inner city school in St. Louis, inner city schools. So, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I was actually a minority as a small suburban white girl with blonde hair, you know, you just, anywhere that you're different for whatever reason, you get picked on for that difference. When you're a kid, kids hone in on those differences and they pick on you. So I get picked on a lot just, just right. for being different. Right. Um, like I said, I was smaller than everyone else. I was so quiet, so shy. A lot of people didn't really know me because I was just quiet. So they didn't, they, you know, how do you feel someone out that doesn't really talk a lot? That was kind of, you know, just pointing out differences and, and, uh, and also I was really, really smart. And so again, they'll tease me. Well, yeah. You were, in, you were in gifted classes. You know, it was just mostly that, uh, nothing, I didn't really get physically bullied or anything, which, cause that's not really what happens with girls. Girls are psychological bullies and bull, boys tend to be like physical mm-hmm. bullies. So it was mostly like psychological bullying and just never feeling like, I fully fit in anywhere because I was just, you know, every time I tried to fit in with someone, they would point out how different I was in whatever way that I was different from them. So like I said, I did have a small group of friends that were really close to, it's not like I was like that one kid that had nobody to sit with in the cafeteria. And we were kind of all sort of the outcasts. It's just kind of a weird bunch of people. When you mentioned being, you know, quiet, you know, not in the spotlight, kind of to the side. Is that part of your personality and that that's what you preferred? Or was that a result of insecurities or anxiety that was preventing you from taking I think it was steps? the insecurity and the anxiety. I think anxiety paid, played a huge part in that. I think I always had pretty bad anxiety. 
I can't remember not having it, honestly. Just overthinking every situation, your mind immediately immediately goes to the worst case scenario. So most people are like, oh, go talk to that group of people. What's the worst can, that can happen? They don't like you, whatever. But, you know, with an anxious brain, it's like, what's the worst that can happen? Oh, well, they can murder you. You know, like you, you, you really go to like the worst, worst case scenario. Right. Um, so I think anxiety had a lot to do with that. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I had really low self-esteem. It's very self-conscious about myself. I was always my biggest critic. So, every, you know, I would see all the flaws in myself and I would assume that everybody around me could see them too. And so that made it harder for me to really connect with people because the whole time I'm thinking, oh, you know, my voice is annoying or I'm, I ramble and I'm annoying or my what I'm interested in isn't cool and isn't interesting to anybody else so yeah it was it was definitely the anxiety and the the self-esteem issue that kind of caused me to shrink away from people well and that makes sense and speaking of anxiety i mean anxiety disorders are i mean statistically speaking they are the most common mental illnesses in the united states impacting at least 40 million adults ages 18 and older, or at least 18% of the population. I mean, it is very, very common. You mentioned feeling, you know, you weren't in any cliques, but you were kind of on the mm-hmm. peripheral. You're right there on the edge. You knew everyone, you were a part of it, but you weren't at the same time. I'm going to guess a lot of that was due to the anxiety. Let's talk a little bit more about that. What were your friendships like growing up? Did you have any really close friends who you could be authentically yourself with? Or were you kind of always finding kind yourself Kind of hiding? both, if that makes sense. So I had like really a couple really close friends. Mm-hmm. Two of my best friends, one I actually met in like second grade. Um, and then one I met in middle school. We were very, very tight. And I love them like sisters. They had their own kind of, you know, issues. <laughs> and so we were very close and we were able to be very open with each other. But at the same time, we were, you know, preteen and teenage girls. <laughs> and there's always that small amount of competition, right. especially when there are boys involved. So there was some of that a little bit. So sometimes it felt like, sometimes when I was with my friends, I almost felt like I was an imposter. Like I was playing a role that the person that I thought they would want me to be or the person mm. that mm-hmm. would get them to like me. I kind of always like joke that I'm, I'm the Chandler of all my friends. I really use humor and sarcasm. Mm-hmm. So I'm that, I'm that part where I, I deflect feelings with, you know, humor. Um, so when things got too real, sometimes I would just be funny. So I felt like, and then it kind of became a point where sometimes mm-hmm. I could be vulnerable with them, but I felt more like I was the person that they could be vulnerable with. So I was always the ear. I was always the listener and the advice giver versus the the one asking for advice and talking about my feelings. So um, I kind of became. And how did that? How did that make you feel? Kind of like what? How did you? What? What? What became of that? I'm guessing I'm interrupting. You were going right there, but <laughs> um, I'm kind of the same way still a little bit. Like I have, I have a group of of friends and I'm kind of that way still where I will let spurts uh, of my vulnerability out and I will kind of talk about myself a little bit and kind of show my crazy (laughs) a little sometimes, Mm -hmm. but mostly I'm the one 
tell me what's wrong. You know, I'll listen to you uh, and then I'll, I'll cut the tension with a joke. And I think some of that too is that the insecurity and the anxiety sometimes makes me feel like your problems aren't really problems. Somebody else has a bigger problem than you. Mm-hmm. Anxiety makes small things seem really impossible. Like making a phone call can be really difficult with anxiety. But then you look, right. and then I look at a friend and they're going through a divorce and I'm like, okay, she's going through a legitimate problem and I couldn't make a phone call today. I'm lame. She needs to be listened to. So I really temp down my issues because I feel like they're less important. And then so I become their rock and their listener and their uh, confidant because I feel like my problems aren't problems or aren't significant. Um, yeah. There is something I want to mention around that because that's, this is a, a discussion point that I recently had talking to someone around anxiety. And the truth of the matter is that your worst experience is your worst experience, regardless of what anyone else's worst experience is. Yeah. Car breaking down on the side of the road may seem small to someone who's dying of cancer, Mm -hmm. but for you, that may be the worst thing you've ever experienced. And therefore, those emotions and the way that you respond to it is going to be as if it's probably the worst thing in the world, which is actually okay, Mm -hmm. because it's what you're experiencing, not what someone else is experiencing. But I think that temptation to immediately jump into this idea that we're comparing ourselves to all these other people at all times, we completely invalidate ourselves. Yeah, that's definitely true. I mean, you know, people tell me like their stories and I'm like, oh, I could top that. But it's like, yeah, but it's not, you know, who cares? It's not really that important or it's about them. And Mm -hmm. um. So yeah, I, I tend to be the mm-hmm. listener. I still tend to be the one in the shadows. You know, I tend to just be the one that's more known for just being funny and silly versus mm-hmm. real and and genuine and, and vulnerable. So Are you okay with that? Most of the time, yeah. Are you happy with that? <laughs> I mean I know we need to talk about parenting here soon, yeah. but like for real, is is I mean, because on one end I hear you talking about that's what you do and I'm wondering if that's like your personality and that that's how you are and that's what you're okay with. You know, I've, but then I, also I'm hearing this this almost this kind of I want to I want to be something different, but this is what I'm experiencing as a result of my anxiety. Yeah, you know, if you asked me this ten years ago, I'd be like, I definitely want to change. I don't I don't want to be this way. But you know, I've kind of I've grown into it as my personality, and I and I think the big part is I have found people that I can, when I really need to be open, I can be open. So it's not like all the time I feel like I have to be closed off. I can let those spurts out, like I said. So it's really, I I think I've kind of come into it. I I feel like I'm good with that being who I am. And I like that that's who I am now. Um, Because I'm I'm well into my 30s. (laughs) And, you know, I've done a lot. I've struggled a little, you know, with some stuff. So I've really gotten to a place in my life where I'm starting to Mm -hmm. be okay with who I am and embracing who I am. Um, It took a long time, but it's better late than never. And, you know, so yeah, over the last few years, I've really been like, you know what, I I like Mm -hmm. myself finally. And that was, that was the biggest struggle too, is just being, you know. We will talk about parenting listeners, I promise. 
But I want to break that down. What helped you get there? You know, this idea that I you've finally been able to accept yourself. There's a lot of 18 to 20-year-olds really wanting the answer to that question. Now, of course, <laughs> everyone in their 30s, are like, yeah, you'll get there. You just have to get, you just have to wait till you turn 30. But, but for real, how, <laughs> how did you get to this, to this feeling of being okay with who you are as a person? Well, I think a few, you know, the, the anxiety is always there and always saying, here's what's wrong with you. Here's flaws. Here's problems. Here's issues. Um, so it's just learning when to tune that out sometimes. Um, it's a lot of it also is the people I've surrounded myself with. My husband, been married for almost 12 years, is oh, wow. everything. And he's been, he's always mm. really been my biggest cheerleader and really like, you know, stop, stop saying that about yourself. You know, you're not worthless. You're not pointless. I love you. Your kids love you. Um, so really mm-hmm. having someone in my life constantly being shut up, stop, stop talking bad about yourself, you know, really right. that tough Reminding love. Reminding you with yeah. self positive self. Well, they're affirmations, but you know, self affirmations about the positivity on who you are as a person is helpful. Yeah. And and being a parent circle back, um, you know, learning, learning that everything's not the end of the world. And, you know, that because now my oldest is now 13. And so I see the man he's becoming and it's like, all right, well, maybe mm-hmm. I didn't do such a bad job. Maybe every right. little decision I make wasn't ruining his life, you know. So I think that's a bit of it. Well, let's back up a little bit. So. We were talking about growing up, right? And that mm-hmm. anxiety was definitely present um, in your childhood, specifically in relationships at school and things like that. Let's fast forward, right, into adulthood. What happened after high school? You know, like a lot of overachievers, I kind of fell off. <laughs> I, um, I didn't go to college immediately after high school. I just got this panic of, Oh my God, maybe I don't want to do this. Maybe, maybe college is going to be too hard. I've never lived away from home. I don't know any, like it was just this se- severe attack of panic. And then I fell into a pretty bad depression because right. I felt like I had all this potential. I was always so smart. I was going to be, I was going to go to nursing school and I just could, I froze and I couldn't do it. So I fell in this really bad depression, which lasted a couple of years. I lived with my parents, still live with my parents, um, got a job. So it was basically work, home, work, home. Um, and then eventually I kind of got out of the funk a little bit and I did go to community college, got, got a job that I actually enjoyed doing and started to come out of that funk, got an apartment, moved in with one of the best friends I mentioned before for the one I knew from second grade. Mm-hmm. And so started to get out of that funk, you know, get back into my life. And then I met a man and, uh, <laughs> oh, those men, those oh, men. men. And, uh, we, I'm so happy you found one. <laughs> yeah. Um, then we got pregnant and mm-hmm. moved in together and got married and got pregnant again. So, but it was a couple wow. of years of, of really downtime because I was going to be something and I froze. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, I can't amount to what I thought I was going to be. And now the path I thought I was on 
is ruined and now I don't know what I'm going to do. So it was like kind of an existential crisis almost where I'm like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. I don't know where I'm heading. And so it was kind of a down spiral for a little while. I feel like that happens a lot with overachieving kids is that they can't keep up that momentum, you know, and Mm -hmm. they they often kind of spiral that way or kind of fall off their path. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was a bit difficult at the time. You mentioned depression. So I'm curious, I mean, is depression something that you experience and deal with occasionally, frequently, regularly? It's occasional. It does run in my family. So a lot of people in my family have suffered from a variety, like ranges of depression, some uh, very serious. Mm -hmm. So it's something I've struggled with. I think that period of time between high school when I finally got my shit together. But yeah, so that was probably the worst of it. I've never been in depressive state that bad since then. But I have, it's been, there have been some highs and lows. I think seasonal depression is, you know, definitely something I suffer from because really like the wintertime, especially around the holidays, those are really hard. It's, it hasn't been as bad in quite a few years where it's like bedridden depression, like I can't even get out of bed. It's just kind of mood swings, down feeling. Depression can range, right? It can be very, very severe to where you're having difficulty just functioning, being able to get out of bed in the morning to mild depression where you're just, your mood swings are affected and things of yeah. that nature. On average, does it impact your sleep? Oh, I sleep like shit. I don't sleep very well. And it's mm-hmm. it's it's either the anxiety or the depression because anxiety is really bad on your sleep right. too. So yeah, I, I have very mm-hmm. rare nights where I can't, that I don't take something to help with sleep. Uh, usually like just melatonin or, you know, or a bottle of wine. <laughs> um, but yeah, mm-hmm. I really do not sleep well. How about your appetite? Oh, I eat fine. <laughs> My appetite's fine. <laughs> well, that is good. And you mentioned mood swings. So tell me a little bit about that. Some days I have a very like hair trigger anger. There are some days mm-hmm. where I just... <laughs> tell me about Everything it. just makes me so mad. You know, it's so hard mm-hmm. not to take that out on your family. And so... You don't want to take it out on your family because it's not their fault. So it's really a lot of just locking myself in the bathroom and rage crying. (laughs) That's literally my next question. Are you crying or very sad a lot of the time? You know, I I won't say a lot of the time. I do really love my life. So, you know, the depression really, it kind of sneaks up on you. So for the most part, I'm a pretty happy person. But yeah, there are days where it's just mm-hmm. like, I, I just can't, like, I can't do anything but cry or, or, you know, every little thing makes me cry or angry. So yeah, I won't say a lot. But yeah, when, when that depression sneaks up on you or hits you, it's just like, nothing is going to change your mood. You're either super sad or super angry. And you just have to let that out however you need to. No, no mm-hmm. outside force is going to change that. I think that's something people need to learn. Telling someone to calm down or get over it, it's not going to, that doesn't help. They need to get that out. They need to get over that feeling however right. they do, whether it's, you know, like I said, cry in the bathroom or just kind of 
stick your kids in front of Paw Patrol for a half hour so you could just calm down, <laughs> you know? Right. And let's talk about that, though. What helps you calm down when you are, and I, a lot of people dislike the word triggered, but when you notice yourself, when something occurs in your environment and you have a response, a reaction, mm -hmm. whether that be anger, sadness, happiness, whatever the, whatever the emotion is, what do you think helps after that occurs? What For me, I have to be alone um, because if other people around or, you know, just I can't think like I just I can't I have to be alone and think and kind of work it out and just kind of calm myself down. So just be alone. What actually what helps um, It's going to sound super dorky, but my favorite show of all time, I, you probably know this, is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And. I've yes, I watched the show like a thousand times. And so sometimes, or, you know, other shows, like I really like Doctor Who. So shows, watching an episode of a show that that I love, that I've seen so many times and I really resonate resonates with me, that honestly calms me down a lot because it just kind of centers me. Because, I mean, I know the show word for word at this point, literally. So I could just get lost in it. I'm assuming some nostalgia yeah. to it as well. Yeah, so you could just get lost in the episode and it just kind of releases those feelings and that hate and that anger or the sadness or whatever you're feeling. So that's what works mm -hmm. for me. Sometimes it's just, like I said, it, most of it's isolation. I just have to remove myself from the situation or from the people around me or else it's just going to continue to bubble. Mm-hmm. As long as you don't stay isolated, that's the key. <laughs> yeah, that's the struggle, especially when you have kids. It's like you can't really always isolate yourself very long. Um, you can barely even pee by yourself when your kids are little. So that that's a challenge. <laughs> that is definitely a challenge. And, and I do. I try not to like just hide in my room the rest of the day, but just like like I said, take ten minutes mm. or take one episode of a show or you know just just a few minutes completely by yourself. And, you know, when, when we lived, before we lived in the house where now, we lived in a, a small house and it was a very open plan. So, like, there's very mm -hmm. few rooms that you could just go hide in. And I think that was actually a dark period in my life because I couldn't isolate myself very easily in that house. Right. And so, I felt like it was more constant, constant, like, these feelings of, you know, the depressive feelings where you're angry or sad because I didn't have a place to go. Um, so now we have a, a, mm -hmm. a little bit of a bigger house. So I'm able to actually like go elsewhere and <laughs> yeah, Escape. or just like send the kids downstairs or, you know, there's more room to be alone. And I think that's a challenge uh, of someone who lives with other people, not necessarily a parent, but you know, you live with your parents, your siblings, your spouse or significant other mm -hmm. that's a challenge when you live with somebody else and you you have these feelings that you know are not anything to do with them they're internal feelings but you don't want to put it on them and that becomes a challenge right. because how do you do that like how do you not put those feel like you know sometimes I'll I'll like be crying and my husband's like why are you crying I'm like I don't know and he gets kind of frustrated cuz he's like well if you don't know, how do I fix it? It's like, I don't want you to fix it. I want you to leave me alone. And then sometimes that 
it hurts his feelings a little bit because, you know, he wants to help me and I'm just saying, no, go away, leave me alone. Um, so that, that can be a challenge. I think that's a common experience with married couples when someone ex- is experiencing anxiety or depression. In fact, I've had people come to, I've actually talked with friends who are married in this exact situation where the husband is a fixer and he just wants to make everything better. And the wife is like, no, stop it. I do not want you to mm-hmm. fix it. I do not want you to do anything. I just want you to sit with me. And that concept is very hard for a lot of men to understand when they're so accustomed to being the fixer, the provider, the, you know, makes everything better. Um, and, And it is hard. I mean, to be honest, to have a family member or have a loved one who, who has anxiety or depression and, and has emotional times, it is hard to know how to support them, you know? And so has, is that a conversation that you two have had? And would you kind of lay out, hey, when I'm struggling, this is what I need? I don't know if it's ever a conversation we specifically had, but I think the fact that we've been together for like 14 years, you know, you start to learn these things. It's a good sign. Yeah, you kind of you mm-hmm. kind of get to know your significant other's moods and know when to try and when to just leave <laughs> or, you know, just leave the situation. Right. Um, so I don't know if it's a conversation mm-hmm. we specifically had, but I feel like he's learning that, you know, some days just, some days just give me a hug. Some days walk away and leave the house and don't come back for an hour. You know, <laughs> like he kind of learns those things. Right. Take the kids and go <laughs> and then come back when I'm better. Uh, so it's a matter of experience. Once you find out what, what works, you just repeat yeah. it. When did you have your first child? Uh, I was 22, 22. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was young. So how old are your kids now? How many kids uh, do you have and how old I are they? I have two boys, good stuff. Um, 13 and uh-huh. nine. So they're a little older and a little bit more um, independent now, which is nice. But that wasn't always the case. <laughs> so yeah, we were 22 right. when we had our first kid. It was an accident, not regretting, but, you know, but we were young and we weren't prepared. So we faced a lot of challenges with that. And then the second one was planned and we were ready for. So (laughs) there was a big difference. So, yeah. And they're four years apart, which is a nice gap because uh, I always said that I wanted more kids, but the other one had to be in school before I had a second one, whether it was preschool or high school, I didn't care, but I needed a, a bit of a gap. So, yeah. You know, I think the job of raising another human being is a challenge in and of itself. Yeah. Trying to raise another human being when you are struggling with anxiety or depression can make the parenting job seem next to impossible. I mean, there's a lot of research around yeah. this, um, specifically looking at parental anxiety and depression in regards to its impact on children's behavior and, and fears around that. And I think that in and of itself is a trigger for a lot of parents who are struggling with anxiety or depression and already feel insecure to feel as if they're going to somehow impact their children in a negative oh, yeah. way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's always a thought. It's always like, 
as a parent, just in general, it's always like, how am I failing my kids mm-hmm. today? Like, there's always, always that, that fear. Like, what did I do today? That's going to be a conversation in therapy. You know, it's, it's, it's constantly in the back of your mind. So when you're struggling, you know, you're like, you know, now that my kid, like my 13 year old, I can be a little bit more open with him because he also does have some anxiety issues, which is another issue with parenthood. It's like, oh, great. I just passed down this shitty thing to my kids, but I can be a little bit open with him because he's a teenager. But when they're younger, it's like, how do I explain that mommy's just sad not their fault. Like they didn't do anything. Mommy's just sad today. Or we can't go to the park today because leaving the house makes mommy want to, want to pee herself. You know, like just the thought of interacting with other human beings is impossible today. How do you explain to a two-year-old, you know, that this is just in my brain. It has nothing to do with you. You know, and you just constantly feel like you, you're letting them down. You're disappointing them. Um, So it's, it's a huge struggle. Because you, you feel like that anyway as a parent, but then add in that, you know, there's things that you just can't get yourself to do. And especially when you see, like with social media now, it, it comparing yourself to other parents is so rampant. So you see like these parents take their kids to the zoo every weekend and you're like, I can barely go to the grocery store without having a panic attack some days. How do you take them to the zoo every weekend? You know, and then, and you're like, what are my kids missing out on because I can't do the thing that this parent is doing so easily. So there's just this constant, like, I'm, I'm a terrible parent. They deserve better. You know, I'm failing them in such a variety of ways. And it's, and and then that can spiral you down even further. So it's kind of like a a circle, like you feel shitty because you, you're letting your kids down and because you're letting your kids now, now you feel shittier and you know, it just <laughs> goes out of control. It's becomes a, a vicious yeah. cycle. Does your husband experience this at all? Or is this something that you are experiencing alone? You mean like, does he have mental illness or, I mean, he's married to me, so he has to have or something. With that, well, <laughs> well, now, Kristen. Um, no. Well, no, I'm just wondering, like, your reactions and your feelings around issues, are you guys unified in that, or does he not experience no, that? No, he doesn't experience that. He's a very outgoing, extroverted guy, and, like, you know, he mm-hmm. doesn't really have these anxieties or, you know, nothing like that. So so he's he's kind of, like, the person that's pushing us, you know, pushing me to get out of my comfort zone, but not like pushing sounds bad, like encouraging me to get out of my comfort zone, but not pushing, um, not forcing it, but, you know, trying to get me to get out there and, and not be scared of the world all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm really happy that you have that support yeah. because I think it's so huge. Specifically in raising children, you have to have, you know, you've got to have that level of support because you can't do it on your own. I mean, a lot of people do do it on their own, but to be real successful, you need additional supports as well. And so I'm so happy that you do have that. Yeah, I'm very fortunate. Cause like you said, not everyone has that. Or even if they do have support, maybe it's not good support or they don't have loving support. They, you know. Um, so I definitely know that I'm lucky and, uh, and if he's listening, I love you. He's probably not going to listen. 
and I'm going to ask you straight up because you talked about at times feeling like you're not a good mother, right? Or that you're not comparing to other people. Yeah. But let me just ask straightforward. Do you think that you are a good mother? If not, it why? depends on the day. I mean, really, it it it's a day by day thing because mm-hmm. it is it parenting is such a challenge and I think parents need to talk about that more. Again, with or without mental illness, we don't talk about it. We it's like cherish every moment. It goes by so fast. You love it all. And it's like, no, not every moment is cherishable. <laughs> you know, the time the time that my son wrote all over our wall in his poop is not a cherished moment. So, you know, that whole idea of, you know, you have to love it. I think we need to just get, get past that. We, we need to move past that. You don't have to love every second of being a parent. You don't have to, mm-hmm. but yeah, mm-hmm. and, and, but it really depends on the day. And sometimes I feel like a failure because of my mental illness. And sometimes I feel like a failure and it has nothing to do with my mental illness. Um, I think it's just a challenge that parents face in general, but I think overall, like I said, now that my son is a little bit older, I think maybe I haven't fucked him up as much as I thought I did. Um, (laughs) So that's good. Um, But it gets to be seen. I'm not surprised (laughs) that it's not as bad as you thought. Yeah, but it it is a day-by-day thing. There's some days where I do think that I'm just the world's worst mom and my kids you know, I, sh- I should have just given them up for adoption. They could have done better than me. But there's there's some mm. days where I'm like, you know what? I'm kind of killing it. Like, I'm pretty cool. You know, I'm, I'm doing a good job. Um, and, and it's the little moments. It's when you see your kid be kind to another person for no reason, you know, stranger. And you're like, wow, I'm really a really good mom. And then you get an email from the principal the next day and you're like, oh, maybe I'm not a good mom because he's in trouble again. So it's, it's a day by day thing. Um, but I think overall, I think I'm doing the best I can and that's all you can do. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's the most important thing is that you do, you are doing all that you can. And it, it sounds though, like at times you're finding yourself plagued with feelings of guilt. Yeah, there's a lot of guilt. There's a lot of guilt again as a as a mom in general. There's a lot of there there is a thing called mom guilt. And it's anytime you do anything for yourself, anytime you put mm-hmm. yourself first because it's, again it's this thing where it's like your kids always come first. And so whenever you do put yourself first, it's like, oh, how dare I? Oh, my God, I could have spent that money on them or I could have spent that time with them. So it is a lot of guilt. And then when you add in this, uh, you know, I have to put myself first sometimes because I have to take care of my mental illness. I have to isolate myself sometimes. I have to deal with how I'm feeling. So I can't play with them at the moment. I can't you know, make every second special because I'm dealing with this. You know, there's a lot of guilt. Sometimes I do have to put them in front of the TV for an hour because I just can't deal with them. And of course, that's a big no-no. You can't have screen time because that's going to ruin them or whatever. So yeah, it is all this constant guilt and this constant like feeling of inadequacy and like, I, I wish I could do do better or, you know, I I wish I could be putting them ahead of me but you have to take care of yourself first, you know, 
when you're on a plane, they always say, what, put the mask on yourself before you assist someone else. So sometimes you have to put the mask on yourself. Sometimes you have to be like, screw you, watch your damn Paw Patrol. I'm going to take a bath. You know, like you have to sometimes. I learned when I got into the field, when I started working with people with mental health concerns, when I know I have them myself, is that if I don't take care of myself Mm -hmm. first, I'm of absolute uselessness to anyone else. And I can only imagine that that has to also be applicable for parenting, which is exactly what Yeah, and sometimes what people don't understand is sometimes putting yourself first is in a way putting them first. Because I'm not a good parent when Mm -hmm. I'm in this mood where everything you do makes me angry. Right. I can't be a good parent in that situation because I'm all I'm going to do is yell and be mad. Mm -hmm. I can't be a good parent. Mm -hmm. So putting myself first is a way of, of also dotted line, putting them first because I'm, I'm giving them the mom by taking care of myself giving them the mom that they need and that they deserve. So I have to take care of myself and I have to deal with these issues as they come along. And that was a journey that I had to get to because trust me, I did. I, I was always the one where I was burning myself out because I was always doing for other people, doing, 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 and never, never taking care of myself. So that was a journey I had to get to. So it's not like I've always had that figured out. That was, that was a hard truth I had to learn myself. Um, But once I learned that, and I learned that it is okay, again, you don't have to make every second of their lives super special. That's another pressure that we have as parents. Mm -hmm. Like every second has to be fairy dust, you know? And it's like, no, you don't have to make those moments special because they're not going to remember every little moment. They're going to remember the big things and not even the big things. Like, we, we've gone to the zoo because we live in the St. Louis area and St. Louis Zoo is the best zoo in the world. I'm, I'm going to say that. I guess mm-hmm. it's that controversial. I don't know. But <laughs> um, but we've been to the zoo. <laughs> People think it's a pretty big it, deal. People think they treat the zoo like, and it's paid for by the city by being a city employee. You have a special tax, which pays for all of yeah, it. But it, yeah, it's, it's a great it's, place. It's but we've been to the deal. zoo a million and one times. And, you know, the one time that they remember the most is the time that two elephants took a shit in unison in front of them. That was, that's the, like, the time. So, like, they don't remember every moment. They remember the big moments. And so this idea that you have to be on all the time and you have to be actively making your kids' lives just full of rainbows and lollipops every second of every day, that's burning, that's going to burn you out. But yeah, this idea that you constantly have to be making everything so great for your kids, you know, you need, you need to take a break sometimes and you need to just, mm-hmm. you know, let, let them make their own special moments for five minutes. You know, you don't always have to be over, you, you don't always have to be parenting every second of every day. Right. You just, you know, and, and when I say take a break, I'm not like just leave them in their cribs and go out to the, go out drinking or something. but. You know, like take five minutes, give them a coloring book and, and a crayon, and maybe they draw on the wall for a minute. But you know what? That can get a magic eraser. It's fine. Like you can't, you have to sometimes just take, take a break. And we don't, I think we don't do that as moms a lot because it, it, it makes us feel guilty. It makes us feel bad because we're taking a break from our kids. And it's like, oh, well, 
I shouldn't be doing this. I should be making their lives magical. So it's really, it's a real big Mm -hmm. challenge for sure. And I mean, the important thing is that you're doing it successfully. I mean, you're winning (laughs) right now at life. Yeah. It doesn't always seem like that, (laughs) but you are. Yeah. And I think that that's the important thing to continually remind yourself of are the successes, are the the good things that are happening, the achievements that they're making as they develop, you know, it's all due to you. And I just want to encourage yourself to give yourself a little bit of a pat on the back because you're doing it while struggling with things other people might not, right? Yeah. Um, and that's huge. And so being able to recognize that, hey, I'm dealing with a lot of guilt. If we can start looking at that guilt and understanding where it's coming from and the fact that it's misplaced, I I think is also really, really important. If you were to encounter someone, and I know you've already been providing a lot of really good suggestions here, so you've already kind of answered this question, but in being self-aware of your mental health concerns and how that's impacted you personally and how that impacts how you raise your children, what things would you recommend to a parent who's struggling with depression and anxiety? I think two main things, oh, aside from what I've already kind of mentioned, but two main things is, first of all, stop comparing ourselves. And I know that's easier said than done because I still do yes. that all the time. Because when you look at social media, mm-hmm. that's a snapshot of a moment in time. So you're comparing your shitty moments to their one good moment. They have shitty moments too. They're just not posting it on Facebook. You know, I mean, like, look at... It, right, exactly. Look at Shanann Watts's social media is always happy and look how that turned out. So you can't, you can't compare yourself. Sorry, I had to sneak some true crime in there. You know, I love it, but, oh, you, you know it. <laughs> um, but you can't, you cannot compare it. You, you have to live your own life. Parenting is your own thing. Each child is different. Each age is different. Each situation is different. So you have to be your own parent. You can't compare yourself. And I think the other thing is talk about it. That that's the hard. That was the hardest thing. Like I said, I was so introverted and always so quiet and didn't want to. You know, I, I was always the listener, not the talker. But when I started mm-hmm. talking about my issues and being open and finding like-minded people, I found I'm not alone. I'm not alone. There's so many moms out there that deal with all these problems and and worse. You know. Postpartum depression is a major issue that we don't talk about. Other mental illnesses as a parent, you know, suicidal ideations, you don't talk about, yeah, you don't talk about those feelings, especially when you're a parent because you have that fear of, you know, someone's going to take your kids away. So Mm -hmm. find people you trust, whether it's a mom group and be careful because there's some real crazy mom groups out there, but, you know, a good group of people, a single friend, you know, because, you know, our mutual friend, she's a great listener um, or, or yes, a, a therapist. I mean, you know, go to therapy if you can. Uh, and and again, that's always an excuse as a parent. Well, I don't have time. I'm dealing with my kids. But they have online stuff now like Talkspace, BetterHelp. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can work it into your schedule. Yep. Just talk to somebody because when you isolate yourself, when you feel like you're the only one, it, it adds to that failing thing. It's like nobody else is dealing with this, only me. I'm a failure. But when you talk about it, you find that a lot of people struggle 
whether it's exactly what you're going through or similar or or not even close, but they can still empathize with you. Just just talk about it. We we need to remove the stigma of having a, a mm-hmm. mental health issue. We have to, yes. to to get rid of that, and we have to be open about it. Um, I'm more open mm-hmm. about you know my feminine problems <laughs> to the world than I am about my mental illness. You know, so we need to talk about it. So whoever find someone you trust or a therapist and get it out there because you'll find that it's not abnormal. Like you said, anxiety, it affects a lot of people. And until I started talking about it, yeah. The most commonly diagnosed mental health disorder in the U.S. And I might even say Yeah, and when I was dealing with it like in high school and stuff, it's like everyone else seems to have it so figured out. I'm the only person here that is struggling and you find out that they're all struggling too. They were just putting on a happy face, you know. So we're we're all struggling in our own way. So it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to talk about how shitty parenting can be sometimes. You don't always have to talk, act like it's the perfect thing. It's every moment is beautiful. They're not. And it's okay that they're not. It's okay that sometimes you flip your kids off behind their back we all do it. Don't, don't act like you don't. So, so it's okay. It's okay to say that kids are assholes and it's okay to say that, you know, it's, we have to remove that, that segment because it, again, it isolates you and it adds to that feeling of I'm doing it wrong. I'm a bad parent. Uh, I'm alone. I'm failing. So you you just get out there and, and talk about it. You don't have to go on a podcast and talk about it, but talk to someone. But if coming on a podcast (laughs) does help you, please know Seth here at Mental is more than happy to talk with you. Um, To kind of wrap things up, there there are a few things I just want to throw out too, and and some of this is going to be repeating. I am not a parent, but I am a therapist. So there are some things that I kind of like to just mention and kind of throw out there. One, sometimes good enough is perfectly fine. You can't always give 100%. Some days are going to be harder than others. You do not have to be a super parent every hour of every day. What you're going through and can help you through it. And honestly, in this day and age, it could be an online group of people. It can be an in-person group if that works better for you. But know that through mental, a community will be formed and there will likely be a Marco Polo group and a Facebook group and places where you can connect to people. So if online is the best that you can do, we're here to help you with that. Beware of depression. Just know about the signs and symptoms and know what puts you or triggers you to lead you down that path. If we can understand the warning signs, we can start intervening before it hits. Not always, but we can come up with ways of decreasing it, minimizing it, or making it bearable. Lastly, I want you to forgive yourself and your children. All right? Everyone makes mistakes. Be gentle with yourself and the people around you. Depression often masks as agitation, irritability, or anger, but it's it's depression and we need to name it for what it is. You are not your condition. Your depression isn't the only thing about you. It isn't even the most important thing. You are a parent 
and maybe any number of other things, a partner, a lover, a friend, an employee, a teammate, etc. Do not hesitate to reach out for support. Whether it be through friends or a therapist, reaching out is crucial. And lighten things up. As Kristen was talking about, if you need to, take a break. Step away. Do whatever you have to. Listen to, read, and watch things that make you feel good or funny and and don't stress you out. And lastly, live fearlessly. Don't let depression stop you from doing things or meeting people. That can be easier said than done, but get out there, live large, and experience life with your children. Kristen, I just want to thank you so much for coming on today. Hearing your story, I think, is going to be so powerful to a lot of people who are parents who struggle with depression and anxiety as well. And I really feel like we were able to provide some tools and really normalize this to a large extent. So thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I It was nice. It's kind of cathartic to talk about my story. Um, and hopefully, even if it helps one person out there, that's that's great. So thank you. It is my hope that your story today will be of support to someone else. I am such a big believer in the power of story, specifically story of lived experience. If you have enjoyed this episode at all today, or any other of my prior episodes, I want to let you know that I do have Patreon, and if you were to go to Patreon, you can join for Mental with Seth. However, due to the coronavirus and the difficulties that people are experiencing right now, I am offering 100% free membership into the mental community, both on Facebook and Marco Polo, and if that is something you would like to be a part of, please feel free to reach out to me. Um, As of right now, I'm not charging anything, and I don't foresee myself charging anything in the near future. So if you want to be a part of this community, please feel free to reach out to me at mental.ftg at gmail.com, and I will make sure to get you plugged in. Also, I am going to ask a favor. Yes, here I am asking a favor of people that listen to my podcast, but listen, If you can go to Apple Podcasts, look up Mental, and leave me a five-star review and a comment, I will be sure to give you a shout-out on the next episode of Mental, and I will also throw you in for a drawing to actually have an episode with me. And speaking of that, I already do have one comment on Apple Podcasts, and so I want to give a big shout-out to Christopher Cody from Fade to Gray. And lastly, and perhaps most importantly, please take care of yourself during this time. But you don't have to be alone in this isolation. Please reach out to a friend. Reach out to me. Reach out to people on Facebook. Reach out to people who you know you can trust and who are there for you. And schedule meetings, schedule talks, Zoom calls. One of the most important things that we can do right now is checking in with our friends and family and providing emotional support. And with that, be safe out there. Until next time. Hi, welcome to your neighborhood pharmacy. Hi, I've got a prescription for diabetes test strips. How much is the copay? Well, it depends on your type of commercial insurance and factoring in your yearly spend, subtracting the deductibles, also depending on your monthly uh, allowance. Why can't there be a better option? 
Or you could try Contour Next Test Strips, a 35 counts only $19.99 over the counter and proven to be highly accurate. Go to contournext.com slash radio to see if over-the-counter strips are a more affordable option for you. Hmm, I think I'll try Contour Next. At the Home Depot, we have Black Friday savings all through November. And with that comes a joyful holiday bustle that we just love to hear. Although we also love the sound that comes after the holidays. When people put their new tools to use. In fact, we love it so much. When you buy select Milwaukee M18 kits, you'll get an extra tool for free. So after you're done filling the air with holiday magic, you can fill it with the sounds of doing. The Home Depot. How doers get more done.